Hello and welcome to Centuries and Saints. Thank you for tuning in. This is your host for the podcast, Scott Matson. Well, on today's episode, we will be continuing where we picked up last week, looking at the wrath of God. So this is our second of two weeks looking at that aspect of God's character and God's attributes. Now, I hope that this study is illuminating for you, helping you to understand what God's wrath is and also what it isn't. So stay tuned, and I look forward to talking to you again after the episode. Well, um, it is time now to continue on our study of the attributes of God. And so I'm excited today to continue and to finish up uh, what we've been talking about. Well, actually, what we talked about last week, and today's the second part of that. Um, And that is uh, the wrath of God. Okay. Now, last week, we began this, this look at the wrath of God. And as I pointed out, this isn't the most comfortable topic for us to discuss. Um, However, it is something that we see uh, throughout the Old and the New Testaments. And throughout the history of the church, uh, this has been an area of theology that, uh, you know, people have not turned their backs on. You know, the church has not shied away uh, from this because it is very, very important uh, to discuss. And again, and to get a, a proper, full, complete understanding of the character of God. You know, it's important to look at all of these things that are a part of who he is. Okay, and so again, that's why uh, we study the attributes of God. That's why we look at his word and, and we look at, you know, historical theology through the history of the church, you know, and what Christians have always believed. And uh, that way we can get an accurate and measured look at who God is. All right, so uh, with that in mind, really quickly, last week, again, we introduced this topic and we, we looked at how the wrath of God is his measured and just response to sin. So in other words, it's not just a spontaneous outbreak of uncontrollable rage, okay? God, we know, doesn't react uh, in those ways because he's always known everything. He's never surprised. Uh, I believe we can say from Scripture that God certainly does feel, uh, you know, displeasure and anger and hatred towards sin and evil and injustice, Uh, But he's not surprised by it. He already knows because he's always known everything. He's omniscient, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Okay, and we see uh, this fleshed out in the life of Jesus perfectly uh, when Jesus cleared out the temple. You know, he made that, he took a rope and he made a whip. Okay, I mean, the the scriptures are clear in that. Jesus made a whip uh, out of cords, out of rope, and he used it to drive all of the money exchangers who were ripping people off out of the temple he overturned their tables, thus, you know, scattering their money everywhere. Uh, but it says that when he got to the cages that contained the doves, that he had the, the dove handlers open the cages and let the doves out. Okay. He didn't just knock the cages to the floor and, and injure the doves. So while he was angry and he was exercising his wrath against that injustice, it was also controlled. Okay. It wasn't a blinding rage. And so we see that in scripture uh, about the wrath of God. So today, what I want to do is I want to continue looking at this and finish this up today. And I want to look at this from a more scriptural perspective, uh, pointing out some various places in the Bible, um, and also maybe a little bit more of a theological perspective as well, because I think there's some great insights uh, that we can get into that. And so I want to uh, reference a guy named Tony Lane, and he wrote an essay, a theological essay entitled, The Wrath of God as an Aspect of the Love of God. 
And this essay appeared in a larger work um, that was different theological essays on the love of God that was put together um, years ago. And so this was one of those essays, and it's, it's really interesting. And there are some quotes in there that I pulled that I want to point out uh, because it's just important that we understand and, and get the insights of a brother, okay? So uh, here we go. Uh, the first quote that I want to read from this uh, is this, okay? And talking about you know, the study of the wrath of God and and why we need to know it and why we need to understand it. And Tony Lane, he writes this, quote, This is necessary, not because we need to balance God's wrath with his love as rival attributes, but because God's love itself implies his wrath. Without his wrath, God is simply not loving in the sense that the Bible portrays his love, end quote. All of that basically to say, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but basically what this means um, is that the, the picture of God that we have in scripture with his infinite love and his grace and mercy and compassion also means that he does have wrath, um, a hatred, a displeasure towards uh, sin and towards evil and towards injustice. You know, none of us would want to live in a universe uh, where God will not punish sin, and where God will not punish injustice. There is a day of judgment coming, we know that, uh, where God will pour out his just, righteous wrath on all the workers of iniquity, those who have not repented and placed their faith in Jesus for their salvation. Um, God will exercise his wrath against all those, uh, the unregenerate, those who do not believe. We would not want to live in a universe that's any different than that, you know, because when you think about all the horrific things that, that humans do to their fellow humans, you know, that man does to man, um, it's it's absolutely awful. And to, to know that God will uh, one day set that stuff right, and he will bring justice, and, and he will exercise his wrath on those workers of iniquity who are not repentant. Um, that's actually a very good thing, and it's actually a very comforting thing, you know, that, to know that God is just, and that he is good, and that he will not, uh, you know, tolerate or put up with evil and injustice and sin. You know, and, and he will not let it run free unchecked. And so that's a very good thing. And that's part of his wrath. And so all of us would, I think, warm up, so to speak, to that idea of God's wrath. You know, uh, again, God's measured righteous response to sin, that he will not allow these things to go unchecked and unpunished and undealt with. Uh, and that's what the day of judgment is for. I want to look at another quote here from this essay, and it's talking about you know, kind of how the wrath of God has sort of fallen uh, onto the back burner in a lot of church culture today and sort of this postmodern society of tolerance in which we live. Okay. And so Tony Lane, quoting another writer, says this, quote, most preachers and most composers of prayers today treat the biblical doctrine of the wrath of God very much as the Victorians treated sex. It is there but it must never be alluded to because it is, an, in an undefined way, shameful. God is love. Therefore, we must not associate him with wrath. God is love. Therefore, he is indefinitely tolerant. Presumably, it is for such reasons that the Christian churches of the 20th century have in practice turned their backs upon the biblical doctrine of the wrath of God. End quote. And that's kind of the, uh, I think, sort of the tendency we see uh, in ourselves personally, Uh, Each one of us as believers, I think we would identify with that to some extent or another. And we also see it, as he says, in churches and in, you know, the writers of Christian music and basically just in all aspects, 
you know, of, of the Christian life in the times in which we find ourselves, uh, the biblical doctrine of the wrath of God is maybe, you know, theologically affirmed, but functionally denied, you know, and, and that's a sad thing because it robs us as God's kids, as Christians, it robs us of a more full, robust biblical understanding of God. Okay. And also when we, when we don't study the wrath of God and when we don't really want to acknowledge it, there is a lot of scripture uh, that frankly is quite offensive to us, you know? And so to order, in order to better understand scripture and God's dealings with his people in both the old and the new testaments, uh, we need to understand this. Uh, Otherwise parts of the Bible will remain mysterious and unexplained and maybe even, you know, disliked uh, by us. And so that's why it's important to understand this part of God's uh, part of God's character and His nature uh, is wrath. Okay, and on that, I need this is kind of the main point I want to make today, and we're going to get into some scripture here. Uh, but the main point here that I want to make today, and this is very important, okay, is that God's wrath is not one of His eternal attributes in the same way that His love or His holiness is. Okay. And I think that's very, very important that we understand. Okay. God's wrath is his response to something outside of himself. Okay. Because we know uh, from the scriptures that God is only good. In him, there is no darkness, no sin, no evil, no shadow of turning. God is not the author of confusion. He's not the creator of sin and evil. Okay. So sin and evil and injustice and all those things against which God pours out his wrath, those are all things that are outside of God. Those are not in God, okay? God is only good and holy and righteous and pure and perfect, okay? And so God's wrath, while it is very much a part of who he is, God's wrath is not one of his eternal intrinsic attributes, again, in the same way that his love or his holiness and his righteousness and his perfection are. Are. Okay. In other words, we can say from scripture that God is holy, holy, holy. God is love. God is righteous and just. God is good. But nowhere in the Bible does it say God is wrath. Okay. That's not in the Bible. God has wrath, but the Bible does not say that God is wrath. That's an important distinction we need to make here as we talk about this. All right. And to reference that, I want us to look at Isaiah 28, 21. Uh, which says this, for the Lord will rise up as at Mount Perizim. He will be stirred up as in the Valley of Gibeon to do his task, his unusual task, and to his work, his extraordinary work. Okay. Now this passage in Isaiah is describing God rising up in wrath, in wrathful judgment. Okay. Which is described as his unusual task. Okay. His extraordinary work. Uh, which means that that's not normal. And what that means is that from the scriptures, we know that God by nature is a savior, okay? And and that the Bible makes it clear, uh, both Old and New Testaments, that God delights to show mercy. God desires to pour out his mercy and his grace. This is kind of a, a, a silly way of saying it, and I don't mean to trivialize this at all, but just so we can all maybe get a little bit of a better handle Uh, God's default setting, so to speak, is not anger and rage and wrath. You know, God is by nature a savior. You know, the father did not send the son to the world to condemn the world, uh, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay, God, the father, is the one who took the step of sending his son to reconcile the world back to himself. 
you know, because he delights to show love and compassion and grace. Um, However, again, you cannot rightly have God's perfect, pure love without wrath. Okay, you you have to have uh, both. They're two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without another. Uh, God is holy and righteous and God is loving. Well, that means then that for God to be who he is, love, and also holy, uh, that means then that there has to be some sort of response to unholiness and things that are unlovely, which is sin and injustice and evil. So that's why I wanted to look at Isaiah 28, 21. It's very important that we understand that. Okay. And I want to read again uh, another quote here from this essay that Tony Lane wrote because it's so good. All right. So check this out. This is a sort of a long quote, but stay with me here. And Tony Lane says this, quote, finally, it should be recognized that wrath is not fundamental to God in the same way that love is. Isaiah describes God as rising up in wrathful judgment to do his work, his strange work and perform his task, his alien task. Isaiah 28, 21. Luther, speaking of Martin Luther, picked up this idea distinguishing between God's wrath as his alien work or something outside of himself and his mercy as his proper work. Karl Barth makes the same distinction between God's wrath and his grace as does Emil Brunner between his wrath and his love. There are two different points to be noted here. First, God is love. Yet one could not say that God is wrath. In other words, love is a fundamental and eternal attribute of God, while wrath is no more than an outworking of God's character in response to sin. Before creation, God was love, and this love was active within the Trinity, but God's wrath was no more than a potentiality. Unlike holiness or righteousness, wrath never forms one of the permanent attributes of the God of Israel. Wrath is not an attribute of God in the way that his love or holiness is. His wrath is his response to something outside of himself. Second, it is also true that before creation, God had no occasion to exercise his mercy, but this does not put wrath and mercy on the same footing. The Old Testament repeatedly affirms God's reluctance to exercise his wrath and his delight in showing mercy. End quote. It's very fundamentally important for us to understand as we study God. Okay, God's wrath is his righteous, measured, and just response to sin and evil, but it's not one of his eternal intrinsic attributes, again, in the same way that his love and his holiness and righteousness and goodness are intrinsic to his nature. Okay, it is a part of him. And in order for God to be love, he has to exercise his wrath against everything that is unlovely and unholy, which is sin. But from an intrinsic standpoint, just simply studying the nature of God, who he is, uh, his wrath is on a different plane than his love. Okay, so his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice, uh, and his love, and his mercy, and the fact that, as Hebrew says, our God is a consuming fire, well, his wrath is an outworking of his intrinsic eternal nature and character as a response to something outside of himself, which is sin. So that's the difference there as far as attributes go. And I wanted to make that point this week because that's very important for us to understand. And just as a practical example, let's fast forward now in time, however long it is. We don't know, obviously, when the Lord's coming back and and when everything is going to be wrapped up. But think with me here, you know, beyond uh, everything, you know, beyond the millennium, beyond the final judgment, everything 
think ahead to the eternal state, okay? When all those who have trusted in Christ, you know, were in the new heavens and the new earth, and all the unrighteous, the unrepentant, those who, you know, rejected the gospel are, you know, in hell, in the eternal state, when everything is wrapped up and we're now in eternity. Think with me there, okay? In eternity, when we're there, we know that there will be no more flesh to tempt us. The enemy and his demons and everything that's evil has been put away and cast into the lake of fire. Okay. There's, there's no more sin. There's no more evil. Okay. Now in the eternal state, when all that's true and we will never sin and we won't have any temptation to sin, there will be none of that. God will still be love. He will still be holy. He'll still be righteous. He'll still be a Trinity. He'll still be eternal, but God, there will be nothing for God to pour his wrath upon as far as us, his children, as believers in heaven. Okay. So God won't be exercising his wrath in heaven, yet he will still retain all of his attributes that belong to him that we've been studying. So that's, again, that's sort of a practical way to look at the difference there. And I just really, really felt like that point needed to be made today, you know, unless we uh, misunderstand the wrath of God. Okay. Well, one more thing here. Um, I just want to point this out. In Acts 12, 21 through 24, we read this. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum, which is basically his throne, and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod because he did not give God the glory. And Herod was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Okay, now that's a perfect example in the New Testament of God pouring out his wrath um, against sin, which in this case was the sin of pride. And there's no getting around this. You can't sugarcoat this or read this in a more politically correct way. Let's just state this for what it is. God killed Herod here. Okay, God struck him dead. All right, now in the Old Testament, in Genesis 38, we saw the same thing with Onan, and in 2 Samuel 6, the same thing with Uzzah. Okay, so there are examples that we see in Scripture, you know, of God pouring out his wrath, exercising his wrath um, against sin. Okay, so I say all of this because, again, we just need to have a, a balanced view of the wrath of God. Okay, it is, again, the outworking of his nature and his character in response to sin, okay? But it's not, again, an intrinsic thing within himself in the same way that his love and holiness are. Um, but at the same time, we also cannot diminish the wrath of God because we see it in both Old and New Testaments, okay? And there is coming a day of judgment, and God is the righteous judge, all right? So anyways, all of that to say, Kappa listeners, that's sort of a, a, a biblical, scriptural, and you know, theological view uh, of the wrath of God. And there's so much more that could be said here. And if you guys are interested, you know, I'd encourage you just to, you know, read up on this stuff. It's very interesting, uh, but we're going to stop there for today because uh, I just, I felt like that was the point that needed to be made. And I just felt like that's, you know, that's what we need to say today. So uh, I pray that has been enlightening and a, a help and a blessing for you guys um, just to better understand the Lord and, and this part of who he is. And again, our God is good and he is gracious and he delights in showing mercy and he is by nature a savior and tender and compassionate and a father and praise him for that. So God bless you guys today. Thanks for hanging with us. Lord bless you. Indeed. And again, thank you for tuning in to Centuries and Saints for this week's episode, finishing up our look at the wrath of God. 
Well, guys, we are getting close to being done with this second season. We only have about four weeks left finishing up this look at the attributes of God in more of a systematic kind of way. I've really enjoyed these studies so far. I hope they've been a blessing to you. If they have, would you do me a favor? Would you go to the podcast store and would you rate us, write us a review and help us spread the word? It just really helps the podcast to get the word out there so that we can serve and bless other people as well. And of course, you can find us both on the podcast store for you iPhone, Apple users, and also on Spotify, if that's the platform you prefer. So really excited just to see what God's going to continue to do with this podcast and with these episodes. So with that said, may the Lord bless you today. And until next week, this is Scott Matson for Centuries and Saints.